as you can see, off the pace. They've got to do something special. Bergwijn does. Fitzpatrick breaks. Making goal square. Long kick. Oh, and it bounce. It's good for a goal. Now that you are involved in coaching and you've been able to use a lot of your experience to sort of translate your skills from playing to now coaching, how are you finding your time with the with the AFLW at the moment and, and what's your current opinion on the state of the competition, of the women's competition? I think this year was undoubtedly the best it's been. I think that was widely reported. Um, I think it's going from strength to strength. Um, I'll be honest, the, I didn't pay a lot of attention to it in the first couple of years. I, I certainly have watched it a lot more since I've been coaching in it. Um, working with women is very different to working with men. Anyone that says you treat female and male athletes the same, that's just burying your head in the sand. Women and men are different. That's just a fact. It's not a positive. It's not a negative. It's just a fact. Um, yeah, I think this year was so positive for the AFLW. The girls are improving. The girls are working their ass off. They're a great group of girls. They're a great group of women. I love them. I really do. I have this real strong sense of half of them are older than me. Not half of them. We're a very young list of the doggies, but there are girls there that are older than me, but I still have this real paternal defensive feeling. For, I love them. I really do. They're great. Um, it would be great for them to be full-time. It would be awesome. They would improve exponentially because all they want to do is get better. All they want to do is get better. Um, it would also mean that if it became full-time, you know, players or people like myself could be a full-time coach. It would make me a better coach. I'd have more access to them. They would naturally further improve. There is also the realism of it, though, that at the end of the day, it's an economical decision and it still doesn't quite make enough money for all those things to happen. That's not for me to decide. My job's purely to be coaching. They work their asses off. I love them. Um, I think the league is getting better and better to watch this year compared to last year. Maybe that's just because we went from winning one game to five. Maybe that's why I'm getting a bit biased. <laughs> but, you know, the whole talk of expansion, all those kinds of things, it's tough. Want to give the teams their chance or do you want the league to improve first? Apple egg, uh, apple egg. chicken egg scenario for mine. Again, it's not my decision to make. Um, it's tough because I think what really frustrates me is if you don't expand or if you don't do this or if you don't do that, you then get the PC police coming around and saying, oh, you don't like women or you don't respect the women's game and it's this and it's that. And it's like, well, hang on. How about we take a step back and we try and actually build this and do it properly? Because it was sort of rushed in the fact that I, my understanding is it wasn't actually meant to come in until 2020. That was meant to be year one. And then on the back of how popular those, um, those exhibition games were, it got forced ahead. And I think it was 2016 or 2017, sorry, it was the first year. So it was rushed. There are things that are being made up on the fly, effectively. Um, you know, it would be great if we'd had this competition around for 20, 30, 40 years. But you look at our netballers, you look at our basketballers, you look at our cricket team now, how long these elite competitions have been around. They haven't been around for just five years like the AFLW. Unfortunately, we can't change the fact that it wasn't around five years ago. It would be great if we could, but we can't. So we should work with what we've got and do what's the best for them. And rather than getting hysterical and having people say, oh, we need to do this, need to do that, how about we actually do what's best? Because, again, I was just started coaching at the time. If you remember, there was a dispute around the AFLPA and the AFLW ahead of season four, I think it was. I didn't get involved in that. My job is as a coach, so it's, it's not my issue. But I did find it interesting that pretty much if you read the papers, you found so many women from other sports 
or even the ones in the AFLW from other sports, Aaron Phillips is a prime example, who were very much, let's take this slow. Let's not put the cart before the horse. Let's not try and walk. Let's not try and run before we can walk. It would be great if they were full-time. I would love to do it full-time as a coach, to be honest. Um, maybe that would mean I'll lose my job because I look to get better coaches and, and people with more experience. I don't know. The league would improve exponentially. But unfortunately, there's probably a realism as well that it's just not there from a commercial standpoint at this stage. That goes on. That goes on and talk like, you know, you look at the AFL back from, you know, the 80s when it was back, at, you know, when it was a baffer. Like, you think about when did I, is it money? Is it money that makes that real big shift? Because, you know, a lot of blokes in the 80s, they were playing, you know, as part-time footballers. And, you know, that's what women are doing now, you know, be... You know, we touched on this with Kate Roffey last week. You know, it'd be, it'd be really great to have an even playing field and, you know, allow the women to have, you know, full-time exposure to, to developing and, you know, to really grow the area. And I think that'd be really great to see. 100%. 100%. I mean, look, I think, unfortunately, money is what makes the world go around, isn't it? Money talks. Um, we see it at the moment with lockdown, isn't it? The, the biggest, not the biggest issue. There are so many people with, uh, there's a mental health impact, there's a social impact, there's all of that. But what's hurting people is not being able to work. Business is going in underground, not being able to pay their mortgage, not being able to pay their rent. That's what's hurting people from a literal standpoint. And that's probably the same thing with AFLW. Um, it would be great to live in that world. But again, I'm I'm on the girls' team. I'm full-blown. I, I want them to be as successful as possible. And I'd love to coach full-time. So self-serving, it would be great for me. But let's realise the AFL was, or the VFL was around for 140 years before the players were full time, or 120 or whatever it was. Who was our senior coach? Um, he, I think he had two years. We all know who Nathan Burke is, obviously, superstar. I think he said he had one or two years in his entire career where he was a full time footballer. The rest he was coaching. I, I think he was a school teacher. Um, you hear so many stories about that. Even in the 90s, players were still working. Now, look, it would be great for the girls to automatically be earning the same as the men. But we can't just go out and print this money. It's unfortunately there's not a money tree where it grows on. So, yeah, it's it's a really tough one because you know you, you'll then have people saying, oh, well, why don't we take it from the men and, and give it to the women? But I don't think that helps either. Like, in fact, that's probably counterintuitive. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I I don't know what the answer is. I'm glad it's not my job. As I said, my job is a coach at the end of the day, and I love working with them. I, I love building the relationships with with the girls. I I, I do. I, I love them. Love it. And on the on the aspect on the talking point of coaching, uh, I'm sure, or oh, as a footy player myself, you know, been on the fair end of a of a spray. Um, so, have you ever copped a spray from a coach? And if so, what was said? Yes, a lot. I would have been a frustrating player to coach, I think, because I I was a tall player who I tried to play like a small player, basically. I was, I was a poor man's buddy, Franklin, I think, is, is how I saw myself. I, I just like, you know, I did try the bananas and I did this. And I, I had a lot of confidence in myself. I'm, I'm happy to admit that. So I'd probably do things that other tall players wouldn't. And when it didn't come off, it would frustrate because coaches would say, just stick to the basics. Mm. Um, Paul Ruse in my last game for Melbourne, actually. Um, you'll remember it, boys. Queen's birthday, 2015. I may or may not have tunnel-balled the ball. <laughs> Um, which was one of the worst umpires of all time. I'll find the umpire. Um, no, so after the game, Ruzi, uh, Ruzi went around and he just was going through player to player. It's Fitzy, you just continue to amaze me. <laughs> and 
it wasn't yelling and it wasn't nasty, but it was just like to the point. And it was like probably it's probably the one that stands with me because I can tell it. It's funny. It's not a negative thing. I certainly know grudges about it. Um, you know, it's not politically correct or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's probably the one that sticks with me as well. Love it. Well, to go with that, is that well, you know, is that one of your best or worst footy memories? I suppose we'll share with both. You know, what are what are the best and worst footy memories during your career? Yeah, look, that wasn't even a bad memory, to be honest. Like, it was one mistake. Um, and, and this is probably another thing that frustrates me about coaches and, and certainly commentators and analysts these days. Take that whole game. Take the game as a whole. I played really well that day. I played at fullback. I didn't have a goal kicked on me. Yes, I obviously gave that one away, but it wasn't my man who kicked it. Um, I played on Jesse White. Now, Jesse White, if you remember, he played at Sydney and then at Collingwood. He wasn't a great AFL player. But I played at fullback. I had more possessions than him. I kept him goalless. I had like I kicked a goal myself when I was going into the second ruck. I actually had a pretty good game. Now I know that what people remember is that one poor incident. But if you're a coach and if you're an analyst, surely you understand the game a bit better than to remember one thing. If I did a turnover at half forward and it went out of bounds, no one would remember it. Yes, it cost us one goal, but we didn't lose a game by a goal. We lost it by about five. Um, so to look beyond one error as well, I think is, is really key and important. Um, yeah, so I, look, it was probably funny more than anything else. Um, a highlight for me, first game, always a highlight. Um, I don't know, it's just the rush of playing on the G. It's something that I'll never get back now, obviously retiring with concussion in 2017. I mean, I look back and well, I look now, the, arguably the best three players in the competition are players from my draft in Dusty, Nat Fife and Gorney. Now, mm. whoever's the best in the comp, you can argue it's semantics really. But I'd still look at it and go, well, Age-wise, I'm in the demographic. I could still be playing. Jake Malcolm was my draft. Jake Harlow was my draft. All these guys. So I'd still love to be playing. So I think it's just that that buzz of the crowd roaring, the crowd going nuts. Um, you know, people talk about my goal for, for um, Hawthorne against Collingwood in the last minute. Now, for me, that was a massive moment for so many reasons. I mean, that was the first game of AFL I played since the game against Collingwood the year before where I yeah. tunnel-bought it. Same end of the MCG, you get sacked effectively from Melbourne, who at the time are one of the worst teams in the comp. You then go to Hawthorne, who at the time are the best team in the comp. You get given a second chance, and it's almost this full circle moment of your career. Same end of the ground, same opposition. It's almost like a redemption. Mm. Um, then there's the other thing. Like I was going through a lot of stuff in my personal life that year. My granddad died at the start of the year, and, and I was really, really close to him. Um, there are a few other things. That was the year I, you know, Again, you talk about luck in football. Jared Ruffhead was at the Hawks that time. That was a year he had issues with his cancer. He had the cancer removed before I got there, but he missed that whole season. Ryan Schoenmakers had his sort of breakout game in the grand final the year before. He had issues with injury and didn't play until late in the season. All I had to do was stay on my own two feet, and I would have played every game that year. And unfortunately, I got injured in a preseason game and came back and got concussed and missed about 10 weeks. Like, And what I remember most clearly about the game is that, I don't know what the crowd was, we'll say it's 50,000 for argument's sake, is after kicking the goal, the crowd's going mad and you can barely hear each other. That's probably the one thing that people don't understand about AFL. You could be five metres from someone and in a, in a game where the crowd's going nuts, you genuinely have to yell so that they hear you. It's, it's insane. Um but I just remember this real moment of clarity and calm where after I kicked the goal, I've walked back and you can see it. To trust me, I've watched a replay a lot. They put up a little square in the bottom corner and myself, Sam Mitchell and Sean Burgoyne are having this chat. And I actually still remember the chat and it was so calm. It was, do we need 
that gap, the goal put us level. There was a minute to go and we actually said, do we need to win to make top four or will a draw do? But it was honestly like it was a training session or two blokes at a pub going, shit, what happens here? Like, what are the rules? We don't, what do we even know? It was so calm. It was so mind-bogglingly calm when the crowd's going mad around you. And here I am as a player who's my first game for Hawthorne. I grew up a Hawthorne supporter. I had six years as an AFL player, but for so long I watched this Hawthorne team who were incredible at the highest of their days. And here I am, a, a, a part of it, having this conversation with Sean Mitchell, uh, sorry, Sean Burgoyne and Sam Mitchell. It was like surreal. That, that's the moment as much as it is, oh, yeah, I kicked a really cool goal. Because don't get me wrong, the goal was awesome. But <laughs> like that, that's the stuff I remember. The same game, I you know, there was a moment where James Frawley, really good friend of mine, we ever said five years together at Melbourne, he went, won a flag. And then, you know, I've moved to the Hawks as well. I still remember in the game, it was the far side of, of the MCG from the benches. And um, he was playing on whoever it was. And he was just saying like, come back, Fitz, come back, come back. And he was holding his man out and I could come in and take a mark. And that was like a, what I love about that was the fact that this is just a guy who's a mate. But yep, you're out for footballers, but it was like, it was like a training drill. And it was like something you do playing markers up or at the pub. And I still remember that moment as clear as day. That's the stuff I remember as much as, you know, the, the, the glory for want of a better word. Um, you know, you guys showed it um, in the highlights reel, uh, you know, promoting the podcast, a really nice banana that I kicked against West Coast when I was playing for Melbourne. Um, go back and watch a replay. The handball from Jeremy Howe was unreal. Mm-hmm. Unreal. Um, it's a 25-metre sweeping handball. <laughs> I have not broken stride. And I still remember we're in Perth. We're getting smashed. Like, look at the scoreboard. I think it was our second goal or something. And it was half time. And I remember yelling out, Howie, Howie. And, of course, the crowd's nuts because it's all West Coast. I owe you a beer, mate. Like, and it was just <laughs> real, like, honestly, that's the stuff that you that you miss and that's your highlight more than the actual, yep, I kicked four in this game or I kicked this good goal or I took this good mark because that's just local footy, like any footy, that's the stuff that's fun. So with your concussions, you were kind of, you're forced to retire in 2017 and, and unfortunately concussions such a, well, not unfortunately, I suppose it's probably really beneficial now that it's such a prevalent issue and and people are investing the time and the resources now to find out more about it but how are you going with everything post footy because obviously that unfortunately called uh, the end to your career which had you had other choices that weren't uh, advised by medical you know experts that you would have loved to continue playing i'm sure how, how's everything tracking at the moment and um everything post footy yeah it's the thing about it is um as I said, I look at the AFL now and arguably the three best players of my age. And I was seriously playing good football in my last year. Now, I only played one game of AFL. I was actually playing in the VFL for the majority of it. But sort of at the VFL, I spoke about that game against Tim English I played. I had got to a point where every week I was coming up against younger players who I should be dominating. I've had eight years in the system. I've been doing these pre-seasons and I was dominating. And it just sort of felt like, again, I was 25 or 6 or... And it actually felt, I still remember thinking it, that here we go, my time has sort of come. It's about to happen. I go back to 2013 and it was, I showed I could play at the level. I still obviously had a lot to improve on. And unfortunately, I never really got back to that consistency. But I showed I could play at the level. My two finals in 2016, after that Collingwood goal, I thought I actually played pretty well in those finals. 
they're my first finals. Now, I wasn't great. Don't, I'm not trying to say I was best on ground, but I, I played a role. I, you know, we played against Geelong. I still tell Isaac Smith he cost me a flag by missing that goal after the siren. I don't, t- I don't tell everyone that I had three shots of goal that day and didn't kick one of them. <laughs> but, you know, you play against that Geelong team, you're playing on Harry Taylor and you're playing on these guys. And to have three shots on goal again is, you know, you've gone okay. Um, I, I've, played in the, I've played in the rack against the Bulldogs who, who belted us in that final. Again, I played pretty well. I had a good number of tackles, good number of clearances. I did feel genuinely that my time had come. Gorney was starting to really show himself to be a, a dominant ruck in the comp. We were drafted together. We'd sort of come through a lot together. Um, and, and, you know, as, as a junior, I would have been higher rated than Gorney. So I was always watching going, well, if Gorney's doing this, there's no reason I can't. Again, there'll be Melbourne people going, come on, Fitz, you're not quite as good as Gorney was. Totally get that and understand it. But you just feel, all right, here's my time. And unfortunately, that time gets cut short. The footy side is one aspect of it that you miss. <clears throat> there's so many elements to it, though. I mean, the first one is you want to play AFL. You always do. So to not be able to play AFL anymore sucks. The other thing is I would have played, you know, if I got delisted at the age of 26, 27, I would have played local footy for years. Oh, luckily for me, I'm six foot seven. So I would have been one of those old fat full forwards that no one could move at the age of 40 who just stands in the goal square because I don't have to move because I would have been enormous. So I would have loved to have gone. I, I grew up, I've still mates with people I grew up playing footy with. I would love to have gone and simply played local footy and played with them. The other thing that there is a part of it, and again, I'm not after sympathy. It's just a realism of life. And I understand that there are a lot of people who go through a, a lot of things, but there's the income side of things. The, the fact that playing footy was my job. So that gets taken away from you and you can't get it back. And there is no job in the world where you go from doing what you are at the age of 18 and earning that much. I go back at the age of 26 and all of a sudden I'm exactly where all my schoolmates were at the age of 18. Do I go finish uni? Do I work? Do I travel to this? Again, I'm not, I'm not complaining about it because everyone goes through it, but there's that to get through. Then there's the other side of things where, you know, let's be honest, local footy, I could have made a fair bit of cash playing local footy. You're talking guessing figures here, but you're talking 30 to 40 grand a year. Now, at most local footy clubs, that's probably cash. So there's a 70 grand job straight away. And all you have to do is train twice a week. And play. there are so many elements of it that you sort of have to deal with and come to terms with. And all of that is lesser than the actual health of your head because that's by far the number one thing that you have to deal with. How am I going? Yeah, I think I'm going okay. Um, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where now that you've got concussion issues, you don't want to overthink it. You guys will have noticed. There's been a couple of times in this chat where, you know, I've just accidentally said the wrong word. I've gone Sean Mitchell instead of Sean Burgoyne, that kind of thing. Now, did I do that before I had all these concussions? <clears throat> Everyone makes errors of that kind of thing. I forget certain things at certain times, but everyone forgets things. So now I'm starting to think, was this a concussion-related thing or does everyone go through this and am I looking into it too much? I have had times, and it was actually in 2016, we were at the Hawks and it was when Ruffy was going through his cancer stuff. And um, it was that year when I said I missed a game with concussion for about, sorry, I missed about 10 weeks with concussion. We actually all went and got skin checks and the club organised it. And I, I still remember it, and it was it was the scariest thing that's probably ever happened to me. It was that I was filling out forms in the office of this, and it was just as I was sort of going through this concussion, and I couldn't remember what year it was when I was filling out the form to sign to sign it. And the weird thing about it was I filled out the form, I put my name, I put my email, I put my phone number. I was able to recall my mum and dad's phone number off by heart, like it wasn't a complete brain lapse. But I was just sitting there trying to date this form, and I couldn't work out for the life of me what year it was.
and again, it was what was even more scary from my point of view was the fact that I had the sense to work out, okay, I know that Hawthorne won the grand final last year. So I actually Googled the last grand final and worked out, okay, what's the year after that? So what was scary about it was how much logic you still have and how much your brain is working. But at the same time, you forget what year it was. It was scary. Now, yeah. thankfully, I haven't had too many more moments like that. There's been one or two things that have happened where I've gone, whoa, that's probably not right. Um, again, talking about the AFLW before, saying it's been around for five years and we can't change that it hasn't been around longer. I can't change that I've had nine concussions. I can't do anything about that anymore, whether I like it or not. So now I just have to accept that and hope that I'm okay. Now, I'd like to hope and touch wood that the medical advice and the way we dealt with concussion was better when I was playing than it was... 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when you see all of these past players coming out with their issues, John Platten, Greg Williams, all of them, John Barnes, etc. Touch wood, I don't get to that point. I don't know I won't, though. And, yeah. and if I sit there and dwell on it, that's a pretty scary thought, to be honest. Um, you know, people ask me, have you watched the movie Concussion about the CTS? I haven't watched it. I don't want to know about it, to be totally honest with you. Um, and again, that's not to sound like a sook or a, a naysayer, but if you're dealing with this thing... Um, I don't want to know what the potential outcome could be. Um, I'm a pretty upbeat, happy-go-lucky type of bloke. I, I like to have a laugh. I take things that, you know, easy going. So I want to enjoy life. And, um, you know, one thing my diabetes diagnosis taught me was how precious life is. Like in another world, you know, I was in my third year of AFL footy. I was young. I was fit. I was eating well. I was doing all that. In a different world, if I go into a coma while I'm dying or just go into a diabetes coma and, and my organs start failing, I could have died. And again, that's not to sound dramatic. It's just realistic. So the one thing it taught me was how precious life is and how I'm lucky to be here. It was only 100 years ago this year that insulin was a thing and they actually were able to administer it into humans. So if I was born 100 years earlier, I'd be dead by now. So I'm just glad, honestly glad to be here and every day I get is a blessing and it, it's good. So I want to look at the positives of life and, and that's why I don't really want to get too bogged down on, shit, have I got CTE? Because you read what happened to Danny Frawley horrifying horrifying and you read about it in so many players and i think it was shane tuck was it correct me if i'm wrong please but yeah i think it was the worst instance that the doctor or whoever did the brain exam had seen that honestly when i do read that stuff and it is scary that is genuinely scary but i can't change that now can i i can't go back 15 years ago and avoid going into a certain contest or avoid playing that game or not play footy at all so you know there's a lot to it as I said, there's the, the social aspect of playing footy. There's a the money aspect of playing footy. There's the sense of who you are. Of, you know, literally, I got drafted the night of my graduation. So I went from playing, being in high school to playing AFL football. So there's all of that loss of identity, et cetera. But by far, the number one thing is the health of your head and how well your head's going. I like to think I'm going okay. Um, if it means that at times I'd stumble on a word, so be it. It's probably not that bad probably not great when I'm coaching girls and I've got 20 seconds to quickly say something at quarter time and <laughs> I might tell one to go to full back instead of full forward. That's probably not good. But other than that, I, I like to think I'm going okay. But honestly, what, what the future holds, I, I don't know and I almost don't want to know. Yeah, it's, I don't know, when you're just speaking there, I was just thinking about it's how important gratitude is, isn't it? Um, is isn't it and I think yep. what you're just sort of saying not dwelling on the negatives and just you know you can only focus on what you can control from here on in and I think it's a really important part I mean you know I had certainly issues in, in the past and there's a breaking point where you realise that you're not invincible and I think 
that certainly comes to a point where that's that that's a bit to deal with. I think you know I've had a bit of anxiety and stuff in the last few years, but you do learn just to take every day for what it is, focus on the positive things, and and yeah, being grateful just for for all the things that you do have, and not to focus on the little things that might get you down. Sometimes it's easier said than done, but I think yeah. it's it's so crucial that you can't live your life constantly thinking about things that are going to drag you down, um, because unfortunately you you regret all that time that you do spend and, and just focus on the things that you are grateful for and, and everything like that because you've obviously had a fair bit of, uh, you know, between concussion, your diabetes and, and your chronic fatigue as well too. You've had your fair share of, you know, health conditions in that sense and you do a bit of work with Diabetes Victoria as well too, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. That was something um, that actually came from my days at Melbourne. Um, as I said, I was, I was diagnosed in 2011. It was my third year of, sorry, 2012, my third year of footy. Um, it was two weeks before I turned 21, and I still remember it. You guys will re- remember it was Mark Neal's first year, and if you remember, we played Essendon on a Saturday night, and that was our first win for the year. It was about round nine-ish, roughly. Oh, yeah, um, I remember that. Was that Salem's kick? That, yeah, Salem first Morris, game. Kick- yeah. It could have been. It was something like that. Um, but I played a game of VFL on a Saturday, and by the Wednesday, I got put into hospital. Now, our next game was the Queen's birthday weekend. So we were actually, it's funny how things work out. We were meant to go down to Torquay for an overnight stay on the Wednesday because we weren't playing until um, the Monday. And luckily I had my bags packed for an overnight stay because I went to training on the Wednesday morning and got shipped off to hospital. Now, I will say I was probably lucky that I got to go to hospital instead of spend 24 hours with Mark Neal. So I was pretty happy with that, <laughs> to be honest, guys. Um but it's funny how things work out. And, and probably for two years, I reckon, maybe three, I, I can't remember exactly. Of, the thing that's really confronting about it is you're 20 years old, about to turn 21, and you get a phone call that afternoon from Josh Marnie, who was the head of footy at the club, saying, oh, look, Channel 7 are running with you getting diabetes. It might have been the next day, but either way. And I just remember thinking <laughs> both of my grandmas, I've only got one grandparent alive now, my grandma, but both my grandmas were alive at the time. You guys know what grandmas are like. They can be a bit dramatic and they love phone calls. And I just remember sitting in hospital going, shit, I haven't spoken to my grandparents yet. If they find out on TV before they find out from me, there's going to be hell to pay. <laughs> but that sort of stuff is a 20-year-old having to deal with, shit, okay, you've got this life-changing condition that you don't understand at that point in time. Because I remember getting diabetes and thinking, this is something that you get when you're old, you're overweight, you don't eat well and you don't look after yourself. That's what I thought diabetes was. I had no understanding of what it actually was. Um, so then having to ring your grandparents, make those phone calls, all of that sort of stuff, or dealing with being someone that's in the, <clears throat> I suppose, in the spotlight a bit. And then you get fan mail, well, not fan mail, but people emailing the footy club, writing letters to the footy club, coming up to you. I've got diabetes. How do you do this? Oh, my kid's got diabetes. How do you do that? At the time, again, I've just turned 21. What people forget about football is they're just normal people. A 21-year-old kid who's living with this condition that I've probably had for two months and a 40-year-old man or woman comes up to me and says, how are you doing this, blah, 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 blah. Well, firstly, mate, I'm working it out myself. Secondly, who am I to be telling you how to live with something you've had for 20 years? Like (laughs) there's some weird sort of how does that work? So it takes a lot to become comfortable with it, to talk about it. I'm very open. As you guys have probably realized, I'll talk about anything and I've, I've got an opinion on most things as well. But it took me a while to be comfortable with it because not only was it that me, um, what, why would me who's had it for a year know better than you who's had it for 20? But there was also a bit of a, from an external point of view, 
I would I thought people would think, who's this no-name bloke that's played three games for Melbourne? Why do we want to hear from you? Who cares? Go back to wherever you came from. You know, go to that hole that you crawled out of. But what changed it? I still remember it. We had a football clinic at Casey Fields one day, as we do for you know doing clinics. And I ran this clinic, and you know you have about seven or eight small groups, and they all rotate around. And one of the small groups, there were these two twins, um, these two boys, and they were pretty good. They were killing it in this little drill that we were doing. And then after the drill, they both came over to me and they pulled their shirts up, and they were both wearing a diabetes pump or an insulin pump, I should say. And I was like, oh wow, that's you know. Obviously, you guys have got that. I, I don't have a pump myself, but spoke to them very briefly, but they had to move on to the next, the next drill. And then afterwards, I went and um, saw where they were and started talking to their mum with them as well. And I was talking to the mum, and she also has, have a, has a daughter who's got diabetes, and it, she told me that those boys don't actually go for Melbourne, that they knew I would be there and they wanted to go because I had diabetes and that's why they wanted to see me. And again, this is, I don't know, say 2014 or something. I've probably played 15 AFL games or 20 or whatever it was. And that was the moment for me where I realized that these people don't care how good I am or how bad I am. I could be Buddy Franklin. I could be Jack Fitzpatrick. They don't care. They see someone who's living with what they've got um, and it gives them hope that, you can chase your dreams and you know all of those kinds of things and and it took me back to being a kid when i had chronic fatigue growing up and i looked at alistair lynch who had chronic fatigue who as we know how good he was playing for brisbane and i just still remember how much i looked up to him and i thought so many times you know when you're having your bad days of being sick with chronic fatigue well if he can do it why can't i and i just remember that and, and it sort of switched my mindset to again it sounds wankerish but now I was in the Alistair Lynch sort of situation. So it was from then I actually reached out to Diabetes Victoria. I said, look, here's who I am. This is my story. This is a bit about me. If you're interested in, in using me for anything, I'm more than happy to do it and talk about it and, and whatever. No issues whatsoever if you're not interested. And from there, I became an ambassador at Diabetes Vic and I speak at different sorts of things. And I do give advice about what it's like to play footy and live with diabetes, but um, yeah, I talk to parents, kids, etc., and I now host the Diabetes Victoria podcast. So, um, you know, it's something I'm obviously passionate about. Um, and, you know, it's one thing, if it, everything that I do and all the talks and all the whatever else it is, if it helps one person, then for me, it's, it's genuinely worth it. It's been a really amazing chat with you tonight, mate. It's probably diverted a little bit more from what footy means than I probably anticipated. And I think it's all for the better because, as you said, so much more to life than footy. And it's been really interesting getting to know all your past experiences and everything that you're up to at the moment. But we've just got a couple of fan questions to finish up. Yeah, so yeah, mate. I've answered a lot and talked a lot. So apologies for that. No, not at all. Mate. I'm in no rush to bugger off. So take your time. <laughs> No, all good. I think it's been great. But uh, Simo, do you want to start with the first fan question on there? Absolutely, mate. Um, so first one comes from Jarvis B. Um, do you still have any contact with present Melbourne players? If so, who? So obviously you speak about Gorney and how close you are with him. You know, be a real cool insiders to, you know, who you still get along well with, with everyone at the club and whatever. And I suppose Jonesy would be probably one. Yeah, it's funny how it, it changes quick. Like... You go from, oh, I was there last year to barely knowing anyone anymore. Like, it, it, lists can turn over so quick. I, I did actually speak, message Gorney before I came on, um, just about Kai DeClace, who I coached at Werribee, who's just been drafted and um, was briefly talking about Choco Williams because 
Choco was a senior coach at Werribee when I was there. So working with him and seeing what he thought about Choco and those kinds of things. Um, Gorney's clearly the one we were drafted together. We were both tools. We came through together. We have a very similar sense of humor. We, we get along really well. Um, you know, who else is there? Tom McDonald was from my day. Neville Jetta spoke, uh, you know, messaged me very briefly the other day. I think the best part now though, Nathan Jones is a prime example. Jonesy and I, I wouldn't describe us as mates. Um, we don't dislike each other. <laughs> I don't dislike him. He might dislike me, but we've got no, we just weren't, we, we're different people and, and we, we get along well enough. But then you go to people's weddings, Gordy's wedding or whoever's wedding or a Bucks party or whatever. And then you see these guys and it's great to catch up with them because you were through so much together. Um, and there are so many in that boat. So, you know, it's funny how going back for five years, every Monday night, um, six of us used to go to the same pub every Monday and have dinner. And it was Gorney, myself, Lyndon Dunn, Chip Frawley, James Harms, and Dean Kent. And it was funny how in one year, Chipper left Melbourne and he ended up going to Hawthorne. And in the next year, I left Melbourne and went to Hawthorne. And the next year, Lyndon Dunn left Melbourne and he went to Collingwood. And the next year, uh, Dean Kent left Melbourne and he went to St Kilda. And we went like, again, you go from this thing that feels like you started a week ago, but now all of a sudden you've got four different clubs represented by six different people and then i'd retired and was coaching at werribee so we effectively had five different clubs <laughs> represented by six but that's the stuff again that, that was like funny how that happened um so yeah look i've certainly gorney was one of my closer ones and now a lot of the guys that i was closer with at melbourne uh, they've sort of moved on um you know you talk about anyone from that neild era you, you look at guys like jordy mckenzie cole garland um a couple of blokes who came in as senior senior recruits and then were out almost just as quick in in max um sorry matt jones and, and dean turlick um all those kinds of guys from that era um and i do genuinely believe we have a special bond because we went through some pretty tough times together um so yeah it's great you go on bucks parties you go to weddings you catch up with these guys you see what they're doing of course you catch um, you, you speak to them sometimes you're in fantasy footy comps whatever it is super coach super cricket whatever um you know it, it's an interesting one being ex-footballer because you're not best mates where you guys will know everyone listening will know i don't know how many group chats you guys are in these days but my whatsapp is the most annoying thing in the world <laughs> I look at it now and I've got one, two, three, four. I've got six different WhatsApp groups that have just gone bananas while I've been on the phone here. And it's going to take me all night to catch up on it. It gives me the shit. Rarely as AFL guys, do you have that sort of genuine day-to-day -day talk about shit, whatever. But because, you know, and I don't mean to sound like an exclusive wanker, but because you all have been through this thing that um, not many other people understand at the end of the day. And, and I think particularly at Melbourne where it was, some really tough times there's some really close bonds that you you might not necessarily consider them your best mates but you are very close to them in other ways uh and next one comes from jeremy Selick from twitter you obviously talked about how much of a passionate hawthorne supporter you were growing up and yeah part of your lifelong dream was to go back and, and play a game for the brown and gold but after you retired are you a hawthorne supporter or are you a melbourne supporter and where, where's your allegiance lie? i think we got a few fans that want to know <laughs> At the moment, we're a good side. The days, what are we? We've only lost one game. Yeah, up until one. last, up until last week, being an assistant at the Bulldogs Women's, it's great to be a part of the Bulldogs family too, mate. To be yeah. honest, <laughs> um, no, look, it's it's pro, it is Hawthorne to be honest. If I was forced to pick, just because I grew up going for them, and yeah. I was as mad a Hawthorne supporter as you guys or anyone listening are, Melbourne. I, I was mad, you know. Um, 
had a lot of great times at the D's, but I mean, you know, they did sack me at the end of the day as well. So um, again, I, I've got no issues with the D's whatsoever. It probably is um, more Hawthorne, but it is good to see the D's going well. Um, it, it really is. And yeah, I, I'm sort of getting to the point though, that I am just becoming a footy follower in general, because I do feel like I love the Bulldogs. They're a really good organization, a really, really good club. We don't have a lot to do with the men's team um because of covid now and like i you know started and sort of covid happened but marcus bontempelli the things that i've seen him do he's one of the best people i've ever met in my life i've seen him at signing days and it was the day after he got announced captain and the women and men um no sorry we were in the gym the girls were in the gym and, and the men were outside training and they had a fan day and he went to the other end of the oval and started signing autographs and and literally it took him two hours to get to the other end of the oval by the time he finished. But he signed every single person's autograph and he didn't have to do that. Like there were literally players going home because, you know, they go and do, they probably would have been signing for half an hour and then club officials going, all right, come in, you've got gym to do, or you've got this, you've got that. They, they are a seriously good organization. The president, great. Uh, well, they've just changed presidents, sorry, but the CEO, their board, there's a genuine buy in for the women's program. The board's always, you know, involved in the women's program. Uh, it's a really good club. So, I am starting to get to the point where I almost am just a footy follower in general. And, and, you know, I always have been, I used to watch probably five to six games a week. Um, but I don't sleep boys, to be honest, I, I've never sleep before midnight. So I honestly, the last two years would have watched every game of men's and women's footy just because when I'm awake at 11 o'clock at night and the group chat has finally died down the game on Fox <laughs> footy, I'll watch it. And I, so, you know, I'll probably watch three or four games a weekend live, depending on my weekend commitments. I will catch up easily on the other four or five games on that weekend. So, um, yeah, again, I've gone off on a tangent and diverted from the question. If you held it under my head, I, I would go for the Hawks. But again, I'll have, oh God, I would love to see Gorney win a flag. Um, I went to school with Mad Jack Daw, played junior footy with Mad Jack Daw. So what a story that would be. I was saying it would be the most, you know, imagine it that he doesn't really do anything for the footy club but in the prelim final luke jackson and and sam wiederman and someone else get injured tom mcdonald gets injured and tom uh, madjack Dawes was to come in and play his first game in a grand final and what a story it would be you know so um look there are people who have been there jonesy as i said we're, we're not close as mates as such but what a story it would be for him to get the finish he deserves it would, it would probably be along the lines of shane crawford with his that's what i'm talking about kind of thing yeah. You know, I think the love that you guys have for Jonesy, when I say you guys, I mean the fans in general, yeah. through the difficult Melbourne period, he's as loved a player as many. Um, you always used to hear when I was at Melbourne how much Robert Flower was loved. I reckon Jan Jonesy's probably got to the point where he's not that far from it, just in terms of how, look, there were some seriously dark times and, and Jonesy was sort of the one that people could lean back on and, and look at so what a story that would be you know um so it is good to see them going okay both number two i think if i'm right flower and jonesy yeah. is that right yeah, yeah i think you're right uh, dad, yeah. Dad, uh, yeah dad's a big advocate of robbie flower and yeah that's that's where my base of knowledge comes from about him but yeah no i think you're spot on there and i think I think you talked about the bonds and the connections that you make in footy clubs, and and yes, maybe now it's it's just you and your personal connections wanting people and friends and people that you've built these lifelong bonds with over time to see them succeed regardless of the club 
Yeah. It is, and that's the great thing about footy. And I think a lot more people are turning towards just the spectacle of the game rather than the clubs. But unlike me and Simo, we're very, very much one-eyed, one-eyed Ds, which is, oh, we'd love to watch the club, but it's, uh, yeah. It's, no, uh, don't get me wrong. If, if Melbourne win the flag, I'll probably, you know, a great ex-pass player and I'll wear the jumper on grand final day and say <laughs> that it was, you know, me who kick-started it all by my training standards when I was there and all those kinds of things. <laughs> don't worry, I'll jump on the bandwagon straight away. But I do have to be honest answering the question. No, of course. Actually, by the way, on a complete side note before you do go back, you mentioned Twitter before. I don't know if you guys have noticed, I've been suspended from Twitter. <laughs> I'm, no. I'm Donald Trump, basically, because I kept retweeting my goal against Collingwood too often. When I was playing for <laughs> and what happened, and I didn't realize it, was it's got the Titanic music in it. Yeah. And because it's got the music in it, you're tweeting copyrighted content. Oh. So I ended up getting suspended from Twitter, and I'm still not back on, and I, I'm not chasing them up to, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm basically Donald Trump. I've been suspended from Twitter for tweeting my own highlights. Oh, that's un- I actually haven't seen that one. I, I, I dare say, I have to say, I've, I've definitely replayed the Jack Watts Queen's Birthday goal with Titanic music quite a lot from a few years ago. That was possibly still one of the best goals I think I've ever seen. But yeah, I, I've, I've got to go and see. Surely we'll still be able to find it on YouTube though, surely. Oh, I can send it to you if you like. I um, <laughs> love that. No, uh, Should have included compared, that in the highlights. Compared to my goal against Collingwood, Watsies was real cute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we'll go with the last one, mate. Um, so from Justin Curry, um, how many wins um, he celebrated? I'm assuming that, you know, how many wins have you celebrated? Um, as opposed to how many wins he's played in. Um, not sure if that really makes any sense. Celebrated but versus played in. I suppose games I played in, would that be maybe what he meant? Yeah, potentially. Um, well, I think like in life, I think as a person, I feel like, I mean, you celebrate life as much as you take what, what comes to you. But I don't know what exactly he's trying to get at there. Well, I'm assuming, I, will, I did go on the front bar last year um, after Cade Simpson broke the record for the most losses of any player yeah. that's ever played. And um, it was on the back of, at around the same time, who's the big red-headed ruckman? He's been a journeyman. He's played at Carlton. He's played at Essen. He's played at... Yeah. Um, Phillips. Oh, that Phillips? Yeah, Andrew Phillips. That's him. And it was Friday night footy. Like, it might have even been in lockdown last year. And the commentators, were, he played a really good game. And I think, yeah, Bell Chambers had come out maybe. I can't remember. Or maybe he was playing for Carlton. I can't even remember who he was playing for. Anyway, he played a really good game. And they made a song and dance that it was his eighth season of footy or whatever it was. And it was only his eighth win or something. So I put out a tweet that I wish he, I was that lucky because I played for eight years and I played in four. Um, <laughs> so I didn't have a great record. I had two wins at the D's and then two at the Hawks. Anyway, I tweeted about that and it got a fair bit of traction. And then a couple of weeks later, I think on the back of Cade Simpson, um, they got me on the front bar to talk about uh, all the losses that I played in. So four wins I had in eight seasons. Um, maybe that's what he's talking about. Uh, but yeah, so I celebrated all of them on the back of that because <laughs> they didn't come around too often. And as I said, um, I was literally in the middle getting a Powerade circle in 50% of my wins, a Powerade shower, 50% of my wins because I played in one at my first one at Melbourne and my first one at Hawthorne. So um, yeah, they weren't overly common. Fantastic. Well, Fitzy, that pretty much wraps it up, mate. We're so grateful for you to come on and, and share 
uh, all your insights and your experiences. It's been a fantastic chat, and I think it's made me and Simo realise that there, there is more to life than footy. But it's been a really honest chat, and I think it's we've both got a lot to learn. But hopefully, our listeners have really enjoyed hearing everything about what you've been through, but also what you're doing with your life at the moment. And yeah, we really truly appreciate you coming on, and for the day's success. So we hope that we see that. But we wish all the success for you and and your your footy coaching career with the Bulldogs and, and hopefully that the women go well and it's, it's been been great to chat to you. No, thanks boys. I appreciate having me. Uh, one question for you, yes or no? We're at round 10 or 11 or whatever it was. The Ds have just beat the Bulldogs. Do the Ds win the flag? <sighs> I want one word. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I know it's... <laughs> yes or no, mate. Come on. Well, you said one word. I'm, I'm going with maybe. Abby's very sitting on it. I like that you're willing to say yes. So I just, I don't know if it's all the trauma, but I have this feeling. I don't think there's any debate now that the days are the best team in it. I, I think that's almost been proven, but I'm still having a hard time to believe they can actually win the flag. As, as horrible as that sounds, I don't mean that in a nasty or vindictive way. I think it's just all the things that can go wrong have gone wrong before in the last 10 years. And I'm starting to think they probably, they're at the point where they probably should off what we've seen. But I'm also starting to think, will it actually happen? I, 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 we were chatting today about it, and I just think, just this point in the season, I think, had it been round seven and eighteen, you're asking me the same question, and we're on the same sort of streak, then absolutely. But you know, there's so much of the season to go. Not that I'm thinking that everything's going to go wrong, but it's just, I just feel like it's so early to make that call. You know, how many teams have you sort of said at round ten and eleven that they're going to win the flag? I mean, it's yeah. I mean, you look at 2018 when we had that fantastic build up towards the that was the end of the season so that that momentum kind of really swung us into the final season final series but we're still so far away from that so i mean i think brisbane will be a great test this week i think yeah. uh the doggies was a, a fantastic win uh that yeah that all supporters should be extremely proud of and, and really kind of the days made their mark on on where they sit because i know you know myself included probably thought that the that the doggies might have had our number, especially being at Marvel and and being their home ground. But you know, we, we we certainly showed up and had a pretty comprehensive win there. So I think to back it up this week against Brisbane, I think that'll be a big indicator. Honestly, I, I yeah, it will be a good indicator. It would be good to play the doggies again when they get some players back. That's the one like that. Melbourne smashed the Bulldogs, smashed them. I would like to see them do it with the players back, but you get your right. It's 10 weeks out. I think at this point, there was a North team who was 10 and 1 or something, weren't they? And they only just made the finals yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, key injuries can hurt. Um, players have, teams have got players to come back. But one thing I will say to finish up to all the people listening and to you guys, COVID is obviously, you know, you know, pretty shit. But one thing I do hope is that having met so many Melbourne fans, so many supporters, seeing particularly in 2013, when we were terrible and people rock up week after week and you know you know who they are almost i hope that the fans get to experience it if it does happen i i, I would hate for it to happen i'm sure that you guys would be more than happy to watch it on the couch and go mad but i would love for the supporters to be there and experience it so for, for god's sake i hope we can get get that sorted because um i know what it's like being a mad fan mate i'm a mad fan of liverpool now in the pl as i've watched every game live for five years i'll get up at two in the morning five in the morning you name it um yeah, fans go through it. Um, so, geez, I hope if it does happen that uh, you guys and everyone listening um, get to experience it. 
No, definitely. Definitely had the same conversation with Dad last night, I think. It's very much echoed that exact thing, saying whether we're going to get, be able to get there and, and if that, if that's the case, I hope that we're there in the stands. But again, like we said before, we've got to focus on the things we can control and, and just yeah. <laughs> take Indeed. it from there. Yeah, good luck, boys. I, I, wish that, I wish you luck not just with this podcast and, and with you guys and your personal lives, but certainly with the, with the Ds in 2021. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, Fitzy. All right. Take care, mate. Thanks, boys.